Okay. I mean, that actually gave me an audio cue to say that the meeting was being recorded. So I guess oh. Zoom is having some legal problems or something. <laughs> <laughs> Someone has been recorded without their knowledge. <laughs> like yes. Zoom is like, we're not involved in this. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's between you and whoever that dude is. Or, I mean, it, it's a dude. It's a dude who is probably a dude. Hello, everyone. You are listening to Edicts on Edicts. A podcast about Emily Dickinson, but now she's crazy. Yeah, well, she always was. She always was. <laughs> but it's okay. We forgive her because she's so creative. I was going to say, um, she has she has an imagination. And isn't she that has an imagination. In o- yeah. its own form of insanity. Bless her. Precisely. I think in previous in a previous episode, I like made a reference that Dickinson the show was very similar to Alice in Wonderland, and yes. I think that um, we are kind of getting even perhaps a little bit closer to that idea here in the question of sanity and things. So, Carl, would you like to tell us a bit more about the episode? What's the episode yes. called? Yes. So we are talking about episode six of season three of Dickinson: A Little Madness in the Spring. Written by Iowa Debery and directed by Silas Howard. He's back oh. and she's back. So. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I liked yeah. her, her previous work on the show. So um, oh it's nice to have her back writing. And also we do love Silas Howard. So It yeah. is low-key wild to think about how young Iowa Debery is and how already her career is just like a rocket so good for her because she's fucking hilarious and i quite like her it is nice when you do see people who are rising up because they clearly demonstrate talent and and like oh yeah the ability so that's really encouraging definitely yeah this episode is a little madness in the spring as you say um yes. quite a small small emily poem i think that one isn't it um mm, only a few lines six lines yeah, and they lean into the madness idea pretty hard, Ooh, I think. Yes. <laughs> in this episode. So I almost wonder if they were like, we want to go to a mental asylum, which Emily Dickinson poem fits this the most? I did I did feel <laughs> like, that way a little bit. I did feel like yeah. they kind of had the episode written and then they were like, Oh, we mm-hmm. need a poem and we've got to get one in there. Because I feel like the poem isn't actually anything to do with madness, really. Um I mean but... that's that's happened before. Um, in yeah. the show but this yeah. one particularly I was like I think they had the concept and they had like the themes like the whole idea of female mental illness and how it was treated in the 1860s which not well mm. and then they were like find the poem that could fit this like because we got to talk about this not saying and it's bad just saying that's how I feel Yes. And I mean, for those of you that haven't watched the episode, first of all, do mm. go away and watch it. Um, <laughs> Apple TV Plus is not that expensive, guys. It's worth shelling out for. Not giving us any money. It is worth reiterating. Yeah, we don't get paid to do this, guys. We just do it out of love. of From our dirty little hearts. But yeah, in the episode, they do actually, as as you might know, they visit an asylum or a mental institution. And I think we will talk about a bit later about asylums in the 1800s because it's quite an interesting topic um so we again we kind of have like a three storyline kind of thing here like yes right 
okay. I was like, which are your three? So very quickly as a summary, the family goes to a mental asylum because uh, Mr. Dickinson is being considered for a seat on the board as a trustee. I guess each of the Dickinson women go through their own little vignettes in the mental asylum. We also check in with the South Carolina regiment who are having a uniform inspection. And then Sue and Austin reach a new stage in their marriage. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of the three the three bits to it, really. Mm. It's not it's not a complicated episode. It's quite a simple episode. Oh. It's, um, and Emily does end the episode by staging a breakout. Um, yes. <laughs> the asylum. Although it's like really debatable how effective this breakout is. <laughs> right. at, least, at least we get verbal confirmation that Abby has left the asylum <laughs> back to the arms of the husband who put her there. <laughs> yeah, so again, questionable <laughs> result. So like, I guess like an A plus for effort and then like, <laughs> so yeah, the three storylines I would say are kind of, are the soldiers yeah. and their uniform inspection, um, Sue and Austin, who literally I think just have that one scene, don't they? They have and one then, scene, yes. Yeah, and then also the mental institution and just to sum up the kind of trip to the mental institution itself like i really enjoyed the first scene of the episode where they're making the um housewife kits. housewife kits yes yeah do you know if that's a real thing or not I, it I is it, it is very was. much a real thing in the civil war and when henry pulls his out it does look like that where they are these like larger kits with the elements that they need to it's like a sewing kit but much larger in order right, to fix okay. uniforms and things like that. So housewife kits, 100% a real thing. That's excellent. I love the idea. Mm-hmm. Again, this is like one of those things where the women were contributing in whatever ways was socially acceptable for them to contribute. And um, yes. But while they're doing this, Emily talks about amputation, really, doesn't she? Like, she kind <laughs> she of... Does. She makes this... I can't... I don't have the exact quote, but she, she basically uses a analogy to refer to Austin as a limb that has been amputated. Oh, um, see, I thought she was referring to Sue. Really? I thought she was yes. referring to Austin. That's because really interesting. When you think about where the musical episode ends with Sue closing the door on their relationship, and we hear that she hasn't heard from Sue in a while, I took it as her referring to Sue as the limb that has been cut off. Uh, I mean, maybe that's probably correct. I guess I just heard it and thought that she was talking about the family um, and that the family mm. was the body and that Austin was the arm that had been amputated. So that's really interesting. It's it's open to interpretation, I suppose. And But what I love is that Mrs. Dickinson, again, this is like such a boomer thing. Do you remember in one of the other episodes where Mr. Dickinson was like, oh, if I was young, at the, you know, if I had to live through this, I would have killed myself. Like... And we were like, oh, that's such a boomer thing to say. I love that Mrs. Dickinson has spent literally like, what, three seasons? So like nearly 30 episodes of TV trying to get her daughters to get married. Oh, yeah. And then (laughs) just when it becomes impossible for them to actually get married, she turns around and she's like, actually, I really like that neither of you managed to get married because it means that you have to stay here with me. And what's really annoying about that is it's like, you know, especially for Lavinia, she's finally got to the point where she's like i wish that i would get married and only now is mrs dickinson like actually maybe it's not such a bad thing if you <laughs> if you're not married yeah. i was like oh my god like parents just never yeah they are never going to be satisfied with any of your choices 
<laughs> no, exactly. Like, yeah. oh, just it's yeah, it's classic. Mr. Dickinson has been offered this trusteeship for the Northampton Women's Lunatic Asylum. And I thought that it was worth at this point maybe just clarifying what an asylum was. Yeah. Because um, we've all heard these places referred to as asylums. Mm-hmm, but I was mm-hmm. like, oh, why were they actually called asylums? So I went away and did a little bit of reading on the British Science Museum website, because who doesn't love the British Science Museum? And it turns out that actually it's it's because they began as priories, like religious institutions, um, oh. and that they would give asylum to the mentally ill. Oh, wow. Would be homeless. And the first, believe it or not, the very first asylum ever recorded was in 1247. And it was called the Priory of the New Order of Our Lady of Bethlehem. And it was in London. And what's amazing about that is that that is almost kind of contemporary with the Vikings. So, like, two very different things happening. Um, but yes so that's why they're called asylums um and they have been around for much longer than i like whenever we think of asylums we always think like oh very victorian i was about to say we think of like um bedlam like we think of the victorian era yeah but they've they've been around for by the time we get to emily they've been around for what like at least 500 600 years and that means that the methods and culture around mental illness yeah. was well was actually well established by the time. Which makes that speech of hers at the end where she's like, these things will be relics uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, oh. But yeah, so they go to the Northampton Women's Lunatic Asylum. And I love that all three Dickinson women have like different attitudes to this. So Lavinia's like, yay, daycation. Um, <laughs> Vinny's not fully aware of what's happening. <laughs> no, but I have to say that actually, if someone came to me now and said like, do you want to go on a trip to an asylum? I'd be like, yes, just because I'd be curious. I'd be curious. I'd, I'd be curious you know? to see what it's like there. Yes, she's like daycation. And then Mrs. Dickinson's like, Mr. Dickinson's going to institutionalize me, which was a fair fit, Act. like a, a re- yeah, it's like a reasonable fear. Um, Having gone through the previous episode again, where she gets drunk and falls down the stairs in her wedding dress. <laughs> yeah. And she literally says that, doesn't she? She's like, yeah. you know, I know on his birthday, wasn't it? I got drunk on his birthday, fell down the stairs in my wedding dress. <laughs> and then Emily is like, this is an opportunity for us to support our father. And man, Securing his legacy and season three of Emily. Yeah, season three Emily is so far from season one. Yeah. Like council parts. So let's do this cool thing for our dad anyway. And before we go any further, I had to like kind of talk about my experience a little bit because Mrs. Dickinson oh. talks about like institutionalizing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've actually in a professional capacity been on the other side of institutionalization in that Mm -hmm. I have institutionalized someone as part of my job from when I was working with the homeless and working in sheltered accommodation. And I had one very sick lady who was an alcoholic and had uh, various mental illnesses and she was a danger to herself and a danger to other people. And yeah, I had that experience of having to talk to the mental health professionals and she had multiple assessments and, and then wow. her refusing to go undergo treatment and then 
her behavior becoming more and more dangerous and you know then finally you end up with a situation where the police have to come and the ambulances have to come and she is judged to not have capacity uh, and yeah. so I had to be the person to sign the forms to say so because they because it's the ambulance people that say oh she doesn't have capacity but someone still has to has to sign the papers so um, well everyone signs the papers but I had to be one of the people that was signing the papers to say yes I judged that she should be Wow. taken and put into we obviously we don't call them asylums anymore um mm-hmm. uh, we call in the uk it's called being sectioned being sectioned yeah. okay yeah I, do we still call it being institutionalized in america i don't know i've d- been so disconnected from yeah i mean i i think it's interesting in america because you guys have like you see on tv a lot about people who are drug addicts being mm. put into recovery by their families? Can people sign their relatives in to that? Because, uh, like here, I don't think you could. I don't think you could send someone for you. you if you had someone who is very mentally ill, you could. You could get them sectioned. Obviously, mm. if you went through the doctors and things, but for someone who's a drug addict, like you can't force someone to undergo recovery. Like they have mm. to consent to that. And I wondered whether it's the same in the States or not. But yeah, so I've been through that experience and it's very, very difficult. Like I, I really, I would not have mm. signed those papers if I really didn't think that she needed that where she was at the time. If, she, you know, if she hadn't been like a very real physical risk to herself, but I think that um, it's very interesting to see it the other way around where Mrs. Dickinson knows that Mr. Dickinson has the power to just just just, just sign well, her over. Just sign her away. Yeah, and like that's so frightening, isn't it? Like and like then when they get to the asi- asylum building, which by the way is mm. pretty pretty looking. I liked that. That was they they filmed it somewhere in Long Island. I forget where I had read uh, what the name of the building was. But yes, it is a gorgeous looking building. Um, inside and outside as well. Mm. Um, and the head doctor at this institution um, praises Mr. Dickinson for his essays on the proper place of women. Yes, which is brought up in, I believe, the second episode of the show, in the Volcanoes episode. Oh, so, really? Uh, yes. Because I don't every, remember that. Here's the thing. Every time I tried to Google to try to find this fucking essay, the only thing that would pop up is Dickinson recaps. Ah, uh, so we're not really sure. Whether... Well, I'm sure, like, I'm sure that it exists, but like, it has not been digitized because I don't think the show would like reference this thing without. Unless it was real. There's been yeah, there's been too much actual research for this show to not actually have that document. It's just that it hasn't been digitized, which is frustrating because I wanted to read it. Yeah, it'd be really interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's weird because as I say, like we've talked a lot about Mr. Dickinson before, so I don't want to dwell on it, but what you read is like really conflicting because sometimes it seems like he was very supportive of his daughter. Um, but mm-hmm. other times it's like, well, where was that? Where did that begin and end? Yeah. It's almost just an like a exercise in control, like yes. okay, she can write her poems, but I can, and we're gonna do it 
over there and she's going to do it in this house. The doctor lists all the things that women can be institutionalized for. Uh, mm. This is his list. His list is exhaustion, overeducation, menstruation, laziness, and being unmarried. <laughs> Which Lavinia is like, oh, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, and, oh, and he also says grief, I think, doesn't he? He says like excessive grief. Yes. Exce- oh, um, melancholia. Melancholia, that's it. Melancholia. Yes. Um, I love this list. I went away and I had a little look. And uh, these are indeed all mm. the different reasons that women could be institutionalized by mm. society or by their husbands or by doctors. Um, even menstruation, which you would think would be the most logical thing a woman can do. And that should be beyond debate. People with uteruses. <laughs> People with uteruses, not, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is correct. People with uteruses. People with uteruses yes. naturally, usually yes. naturally menstruate. And mm. you would think that that would be like something that people wouldn't be too bothered about. Um, but I was reading a very interesting article in the Atlantic um, which was called How Victorian Women Were Oppressed Through the Use of Psychiatry uh, mm. by Jenna Blazevich. Going to ask, have you read or heard of The Fingersmith? Yes, it's quite a popular okay. book. Yeah, I was going I to say, I feel it. like that broke I through. It, I did but... read that and I did watch the Korean adaptation, The Handmaiden. Oh, really? Um, oh. It's, it's very different, but uh, yes. Also about like mental health, institutions at that that particular era it's interesting moving right along sorry but what i found really really scary was that um there were some doctors who believed that hysteria which was for Mm. the most part seen as a women's condition was caused by um menstruation menstruation and a lot of women went through procedures to have their um reproductive organs removed that's why Um, it's called a hysterectomy yes literally and what's really scary about that is like imagine i mean having a hysterectomy now sometimes Mm. medically necessary Mm. it's it's as safe as it possibly can be now so i don't want to scare anyone who's you know maybe having to go through that process yeah but back in the 1800s that's quite a major surgery to have without and proper like anesthetic and a proper understanding of hygiene um mm. and they would do it because they thought the woman was hysterical um, and yeah i was like and how much actual autonomy does the woman have in that situation yes uh, almost nothing usually yeah so yes but everything on that list can be has is something that's at some point has been a reason to institutionalize a woman even over education like the idea that if a woman is too educated and therefore kind of has too much knowledge um it's a sign of mental instability every once in a while i think about how our entire society is just built on straight male insecurity and there it is well it is so like a lot of um there's a great bit in this article where Yeah, it says, according to Carol Smith Rosenberg, an author and expert in women's history in the United States, psychiatrists during the Victorian era, or alienists as they were called, specifically used medicine to police women's behavior. They all had very very definite ideas about how women ought to behave. There were general feelings of what caused abnormal behavior 
and usually this was a refusal to maintain traditional gender roles. Oh, no. So they, what what this article is saying is that a lot of the time, all of these illnesses in quotation marks, exhaustion, overeducation, laziness, being unmarried, menstruation, they're labelled as illnesses, but really the root thing of all of these is that the woman is not conforming to right. the patriarchal the male expectation yeah. of how they how they should be. We talk about the patriarchy, and I don't I don't think the patriarchy exists in exactly the way some people think it does. Um, mm. But it's it's I think it's beyond debate that patriarchal ideas around gender have oppressed women. Oh yeah, throughout history, like I don't think that you can debate that. Like that's that's very clear and that spreads even to mental health or yes, especially I was like, mental it, health. It transcends class. It transcends uh, <laughs> social standing. It transcends medical care, which ostensibly is supposed to be like objective, but like, no. no. Yeah. And I think the Austin storyline this season is the counterpoint to that, which is like, it also just messes up men as well like nobody yeah. benefits from it 100 percent. So. um the other little bit that i really liked when they enter the asylum is that mr dickinson is like this is emily my wife and this is emily oh, my yeah. daughter and then this is my other daughter like, <laughs> he completely forgets <laughs> Lavinia's like, name lavinia <laughs> <laughs> and what I, the thing is is that like my so... mum always confuses me and my oh brother. yeah. And, yep, I like, get it too. It happens all the time, but also you just feel like Lavinia is cursed to be in her sister's shadow. Um oh, yeah. and that even her parents don't really they just kind of take for granted that she's there and like yeah, I feel so bad for for Lavinia. She's it's, my favorite character and I feel like it, she's everyone's favorite character and yet <laughs> no one's <laughs> easily easily forgotten to her family. <laughs> I do want to say, I made the note because we know that there's so much like intention going on in costume design mm. that I couldn't help but wonder if the cut of Emily's dress, like obviously not the color, but the way it is designed, if it isn't meant to resemble a straight jacket. Because mm. there are, there's like a, a row of buttons going down the front that made it look like a straight jacket. Well, I, um, so I wanted to talk a bit. That kind yeah. of links to something else that I wanted to talk about, and I think you might be right that the that her dress is designed to look a bit like a straight jacket yeah. or a straight waistcoat. And this kind of links to if we talk about the straight jacket for a moment, because one thing that you kind of think that the straight jacket has in common one one item of clothing the straight jacket has commonality with is perhaps the corset, the right? Corset, yeah, 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 and. Um, in that they're both kind of used to restrain and to control. Force um, conformity. Yeah, it's a force conformity. That's a very good way of putting it. Um, but when the straitjacket was introduced, it was actually considered to be uh, a very humane and very mm. positive thing. Mm. And that's because what, to us, we look back and we think of the Victorian asylum as this kind of gothic horror trope right i mean yes. if you look at the second season of american horror story for example which takes <laughs> well, place within an asylum but it also um, takes place in the 60s which the point yes. of that is to be like nothing's changed 
Yes. <laughs> um, but actually, these asylums in kind of mental health went through mm. a massive reform at the beginning of mm. the 1800s. In 1829, yes. there, there was a kind of a movement towards okay. reform um, yes. and changing attitudes. And I think, uh, I mean, on the, so on the Science Museum website, it says, at the beginning of the 1800s, reformers such as Harriet Martineau and Samuel Tuke spearheaded a change in attitudes towards mental health care. Um, for the first time, local authorities had a legal responsibility to care for the mentally ill, and so they built purpose-built accommodation. The shift in emphasis from custody to cure of mentally ill people resulted in a flurry of new legislation. Uh, mm. And the new legislation, I mean, this is in the UK, so I can't yes. speak about America, but mm -hmm. the new legislation introduced the idea that mental illness was something that might be cured or alleviated rather than mm. just something that was enduring locked away yeah yes uh, it was no longer acceptable to keep poor mentally ill people in workhouses or prisons and so the mm. state had to provide asylums and there was also an unprecedented program of building asylums based on the latest scientific and mental knowledge about mental illness mm. um, and this eventually led to something called the moral treatment system uh, which was kind of part of this revolution in the 1800s uh, and this was by this guy called William Tuke, and he basically founded his own mental institution in the city of York here in the UK, which is a city in the north, um, surprisingly in Yorkshire. Um, and what? he named his he named his institution the Retreat, mm. and he was the first person to do away with straitjackets. And he said uh, that non-restraint was what really helped people so that he didn't want to have straight jackets now when people were really out of control or dangerous and they needed to be made safe mm -hmm. they would separate them from other people and they would put them in padded cells oh so this okay. is where, where the idea of from. a padded cell comes from yes but the yes, whole yes. point is that they wouldn't have the padded cell and the straight jacket right you have the padded cell because you can no longer just put people in straight jackets and tie them to a bed. Right. So when you see in films and stuff where people like have a straight jacket on and they're in the padded cell, like mm -hmm. that's, that's a fictional imagining of like a past thing, but one was actually introduced to help do away with the other. With the other. So, but I guess what I'm saying is that yes, Victorian asylums were awful places probably, um, oh, yeah. But compared to what existed before them, they were actually mm. much more humane much in that people... Humane. Yeah, because before that, people who had mental illness were often just put in prison or, mm. put, in, or put out on the street or just starved to death. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I had done a fair amount of research for a script that I had been working on two years ago now um, about like Victorian era. And then I realized it was about prison reform and not about mental health reform. Um, but there was mm -hmm. like for a certain amount or for a certain level of class, like if you had money, you could send people to good asylums. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you did not, you were sent to some of the, like um, this man took that you've mentioned, like if you could afford it, you could go there. If you could not, there were places like Bedlam, which were yeah. awful. 
So like there's still a striation of mental health care. I mean, we're still living in it today, but like, well, so, and I think we see it in the episode as well. Like, um, so you talk about Bedlam, um, but so interestingly, Bedlam actually is, it was actually called Bethlam. Yes. And it was later re kind of coined as Bedlam, but, that was the Priory of the New Order of Our Lady of Bethlehem. So that is the same, the same that is group. the first asylum, and it lasted all the way through till to ultimately become Bedlam. But there's a point where they change management, and I forget when, and that's where it starts to like fall back down again. It's yes, later in the um, 1800s. So there's all this kind of, in the early 1800s, there's this period of, of improving conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the end of the Victorian period, essentially things begin to backslide massively. Um, And the state has local communities and local councils and things have the responsibility of caring for the mentally ill, Mm. but don't necessarily have the resources Mm. to do that. And more and more people are being diagnosed as mentally ill. So it says here, but with growing asylum populations, superintendents found that the only way to maintain control in increasingly overcrowded and poorly staffed county asylums was to resort to uh, restraints, padded cells, and excessive sedatives. And then it says, by the end of the century, the optimism around county asylums had virtually disappeared. An inspector who visited Hanwell Asylum in 1893 described gloomy corridors and wards, an absence of decoration, brightness or smartness, and a want of sufficient ventilation. Conditions that were in stark contrast to the moral treatment, the moral treatment days of Ellis and Connolly. So that's early in the century. Yeah. And and this is kind of like, as you say, like the wealth divide, I think, is maybe reflected mm. in the asylum that Emily visits because yes. she, while Emily kind of goes downstairs to find the girls that are locked in the basement, mm. um, uh, Mrs. Dickinson has a different <laughs> experience, doesn't she? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's like, ooh. Which, okay, did you recognize the actress that she's interacting with in that scene? I I thought she looked familiar, but I couldn't place where she looked familiar from. Did you watch 30 Rock? Yes, I did. Yeah. So that's Kathy Geis from 30 Rock. Like the, the, there was like the woman who was always like the weird one who eventually became the head of NBC and they all had to like deal with Kathy Geis being weird. But yeah, she was like one of the recurring guest stars in 30 rock and so it's it is a weird mini 30 rock reunion of like jane krakowski and this woman in the oh scene that's together. funny <laughs> like, i wonder if jane like was behind oh, getting her on i want yeah, she's like i know who we need to play this woman i know who i want to put in an asylum so yeah mrs jingson encounters this woman who is faking insanity yes. in order to have relief from the domestic yes day to day where we um, get our yellow wallpaper references i love and hate the yellow wallpaper mm, um, yes. as a story side so like as a sidebar i think it's genuinely very unnerving it is um, yeah i think it's one of those books where or one of those stories where you can read it and you get a very genuine you get drawn into kind of like a very unstable mind space Mm, um, yes and you kind of come out of it feeling a bit less 
um, secure in your, in your own sanity. sanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so Mrs. Yeah. Dickinson gets convinced by this woman that pretending to be insane is, is a good maybe thing. Maybe got it. Yeah, like maybe a good idea. <laughs> um, and then Emily goes through to the basement and finds a bunch of women young women for the most part um bunch of yeah it wasn't a bunch of people yes sorry you're correct a bunch of people yes. <laughs> um being but they would have been labeled i think all of them would have been labeled well, young women back yes in the day. for the time but for where we are today because as one of them mentions they couldn't handle my gender as yes they tried to join the civil war effort which like cool like yeah i i like the fact that the show is doing this (laughs) that's not only is that kind of cool in and of itself it Mm. chimes with the kind of bits where emily's imagining herself as a soldier on the battlefield and stuff yes like where she's trying to project herself into that mindset but yeah so she encounters all these people that have kind of been trapped in the basement and are being essentially neglected and abused um Mm. and heavily medicated and heavily medicated, yeah. Um, and Abby's there, which I think is really funny. Oh my god, it's so funny! <laughs> everything that I... Abby, which like the actress Sophie Zucker, also in the writers' room of the show, like everything she's doing makes me laugh. <laughs> I love when she's like, "I've got like my best new best friend here." <laughs> it's like the girl with the doll. Hey, doll girl, and she's like. <laughs> <laughs> love that bitch. <laughs> that's, so, that's so funny. Um, I also love anytime uh, she chimes in with just, I like the pills. I wondered whether Abby, because Abby was a real person, right? She was a friend of Emily's yes. in real yes. life. And I wondered whether she was really institutionalized or not. <laughs> whether we can find that out. Like quickly. So Abby Wood Bliss, friend of Emily Dickinson. Well, um, I've got here a, a buyer root Abby Wood. Yeah. Abby Wood, I guess. So Abaya is the one who runs Drumbeat with her husband. Yeah. And Abby is the one who they're saying may have been institutionalized. Wow. Um, here's a fun fact. She married a minister and then they went to Syria together. Oh, wow. While the intimacy of their relationship changed, the two never lost touch. Huh. That's nice. Yeah, when Abby brought her children from Syria for a year's visit to Amherst in 1873, she found that Emily had become the village mystery, inaccessible to all but an elect few who were admitted to the sanctuary with appropriate preliminaries and ceremonies. Oh. Ah. Yeah, okay, so Abby is not committed to an asylum, but is in fact in Syria at this point in time. (laughs) Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And while Emily's down there, like talking to Abby, mm. uh, who has been institutionalized by her husband basically because of her feminism, Lavinia encounters Florence in the yes. garden, doesn't she? Who is a girl that's in the institution because, of she, because she is grieving Joseph Lyman. Joseph Lyman from season one. Um, and to be honest with you, I didn't really see the point of this scene except to give Lavinia something to do. I guess um, it's to help Lavinia understand that men were, in fact, obsessed with her. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, it does. It demonstrates that Joseph had real feelings for her. And I think, like, it's interesting, like, Lavinia is almost that woman, that, that woman who who never who all the men liked but none of the mm. men stayed with yes you know i don't know i, I feel like we, some sometimes that happens to people like mm. that they yeah i think that happens like some people just remain because like lavinia did get lots of marriage proposals and she never said yes to them so yeah there's a there's a folk song um in uh British folk song called The Seeds of Love. Um, and so the, the point of the song is like this, this woman is in her garden and she's talking to her gardener and the gardener's discussing with her what flower to plant in the garden. Um, and the, the planting of the flowers is a, is a metaphor for choosing a man to marry. And she's like, okay, I don't want, I don't want the lily. I don't want the rose. I don't, all these kind of things. And she goes through the song and she the gardener brings her each of these flowers and then she rejects them. Uh, mm. And at the end of the song, she has no flowers. Oh no. And so the end of the song is her saying, the last verse of the song is she says like, you know, choose one flower because if you don't, almost kind mm. of like if you don't settle for the flower that is that offered to you, yeah. then you may end up in a situation where you have none, mm. basically. So Lavinia is almost kind of that person in a way. Like she, she had like these opportunities at relationships and then. Quick, interesting little fact. Uh, mm. Apparently Abby and Emily wrote notes to each other in their copies of the works of Virgil, which wow. brings us back to the Inferno because Virgil is the one who guides Dante down into hell Mm, yes look at that which very briefly when i first watched the episode and we see that like spiral staircase shot you know where emily it's like an overhead and emily is going down it i was like are we going into the inferno now i think did you think that that was the um i thought it was going to be like Yes, I thought it was going to be like the twist of the episode was that like actually Emily goes insane in the asylum and enters the inferno then because I've been avoiding spoilers as to the show. <laughs> and I was like, when is it, is it happening right now? This seems too soon. Like, what? <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that would have been interesting, but also would have been, a bit. I think, premature or a bit. yeah. A kind bit too fast place. for the show. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. It's a very um, deliberately paced show. I've started just as a as a sidebar, like because I'm I'm also avoiding spoilers and things, but I've started listening to the Great Courses series mm. on Dante. Ooh. Um, so hopefully when we get to talking about the Inferno, I might have a bit of knowledge, but so much to talk about with Dante. I don't think we can really I was like, do it justice. And I'm worried that I'm a bit worried that the show won't do it justice because like the episodes are 30 minutes. Like how can you yeah. really can you cover capture the essence of an epic? Yeah. Like yeah. in, so I think it, I'll be interested to see what, what it does. All right. We should probably move back. Okay. So Emily has found the people in the bottom of the asylum who have been put in horrible conditions. She decides to stage a breakout 
once they come to deliver the pills, everybody makes a run for it. And they end up running into Mr. Dickinson and the head of the asylum, where we get both a girl interrupted reference, which made me chuckle. Do you know what girl interrupted is? Yeah, I watched Girl Interrupted when I was very young and it made quite an impression on me. I remember. Yeah, I imagine it would. Yeah, it was like, that's where Angelina Jolie won her Oscar, I believe. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the first. I think that was the first time I knew who Angelina Jolie was, was yeah. through, through Girl Interrupted. But I didn't recognize the reference. I mean, it's been years since oh, I watched it. So, literally, the reference is something like, you have taken these girls' lives and interrupted them. <laughs> and oh, really? Like, oh. Yeah, I was like, I get it. <laughs> see that was maybe so obvious that i missed it <laughs> i'm just so um, cultured i couldn't catch such a <laughs> how gauche of you to notice that reference literally me uh, um, that's funny but then we also get a line that emily wrote in a letter where she says pardon my sanity in a world insane mm. um, which both is a reference to a thing that the real like the OG Emily wrote, but also connects back to what Fraser says to her um, before he leaves. Yes, yes. Which I thought was interesting, where she's sort of gone from, she's internalized what he has said to her, and she is like, no, I am not crazy. I see the world for what it is. Mm -hmm. Wow, I mean, what is madness but a change of perspective? Mm, That's fair. And then I guess the dramatic tension of the episode is resolved where Mr. Dickinson decides to not commit Emily to the asylum, which done. Yeah. I mean, so I think that's interesting in two ways. So the first Mm. one is that he is confronted with that choice and he makes it there in front of Emily. Yes. You know, he's put on the spot and he kind of has to choose between these two things and he, he chooses Emily. But what I think is really interesting is when they get home and she thanks him for not institutionalizing her, which, okay. Yeah. But then, yeah. But then he yeah. says, he says, oh, of course, my girl, I owe you a reward. I uh, don't think I haven't noticed your support. Yeah. And it's like, he's saying, oh, you know, I mean, I could have institutionalized you. I probably would have, but you know, yeah. you're, you've been my best child at the moment. So you know, you've been a child that supported me. Yeah, because I'm fighting so, with one and I can't remember the name of the other. So yeah. I guess, I guess it's you. Literally that. And like, and like the idea that she needs, that not institutionalizing her was a reward for good behavior. Ugh. And so for, for me, that's not even good behavior, but for like fealty. For, <laughs> yeah, for like fealty sort of thing. Ugh. Really undermined for me the fact that he chose not to season one she would have totally been in that asylum yeah and she would have been like i want to be here i'm still gonna write yeah no that's true actually she probably would have found a way and also the thing at the very end of the episode just around off this storyline with the dickinson family is where i think this has like a profound effect on mrs dickinson right because she ends by they're all like oh what are we having for dinner because they expect her to make it and she says, oh, I'm going to bed and until the war is over. Yeah, <laughs> I'm done. You know? Lavinia yeah. has a very good little reaction in the background to all of that. <laughs> oh, really? Wide shot. Yeah, she just sort of looks at her like, what? 
<laughs> well, it's, it, it's very out of character to say yeah. the least yeah yes. that is the end of the mental asylum storyline mrs dickinson is going to bed now and not getting out so the two other storylines of the episode that, mm. that are kind of worth talking about i think like the whole episode is interesting to me in that there is this like questioning of gender roles which i guess has gone through the whole show but is particularly prominent here so sue and austin's is a bit shorter and more to the point than the soldiers so let's talk about that where sue and austin basically have a confrontation in his room where he says he's going to make his own law firm called panache which makes him an awful tech bro in my mind and i was just like ugh, gross but they sort of decide that since they have a non-traditional marriage, maybe they need non-traditional gender roles for both of them. Mm. Which I think, given the context of, like, the mental asylum is interesting because that is there to reinforce gender roles, as we have stated. Whereas we have these two navigating, like, what if we do things differently within the context of our relationship? But I think you can really read the scene in two different ways because Ooh, okay. one way to read the scene is that Sue has had a change of heart and sees the value in setting Austin free from the expectation of fatherhood mm. and and, and mm-hmm. like masculine identity or whatever. And the um, other way of reading it is that she's doing it out of self-preservation. Yes. Because I think there's two really interesting key things in the scene that kind of indicate that reading to me. And Mm. the first one is that um, she asks him like, oh, are you still planning on divorcing me? And he says, Mm -hmm. yes, once I fix the the paperwork. And I think this is like to point out the fact that for Austin to divorce Sue is literally as simple as he just needs to file the correct papers Papers. and she doesn't she doesn't need to sign those papers like he just has to declare that they are getting a divorce and it would be as simple as that and she would be left without any material recourse without a home and probably by default without her child right Mm -hmm. and so sue kind of is in this position where and i think this chimes with the asylum storyline in that it's another example of how Mm. the life and circumstances of women was entirely in the hands of their husbands. So I, I think it's through, I think that Sue offers him this Mm. through self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, However, I also think that because at the end of the scene, he says he would like that. And then he kisses her on the head Mm -hmm. right on the forehead before he goes out to change the diaper or whatever i think that sue wasn't expecting his reaction to be that warm yes and that maybe she does it as a thing of self-preservation but i think that it will become something more than that yes that it is something that he actually wants and so by acting out of self-preservation she's able to not just salvage her standing but potentially i don't know discover a new way to navigate their relationship yes Um, yes i like this much more 
as a reading of that scene. Really? Do you think she was being trying, like, did, did you think that this interaction was because Sue had a change of heart independently and wanted to try and improve their relationship or? Well, in my mind, like, Sue has decided to sever ties to Emily in the context of the, because of like the, the correspondence with Higginson. Um, I think it's a bit of both, right? Like Sue yeah, is in I a don't position think it, where yeah. she has to like, she's decided to try and invest in this relationship with Austin that she has. Right. It wasn't um, as like tactical as you're making it, but it wasn't as like benevolent as I thought it was. Yeah, exactly. Like I think it's, she's admitting in a way she's almost admitting defeat, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. she's kind of saying like, well, actually, ultimately, Austin has the trump card and mm-hmm. Emily doesn't mm-hmm. want me. I might How as well make just make work? the be- yeah, like make yeah. the best of a bad situation. Um, but yes, I do think that like it would have been very, I think it would have been very clear to Sue that the threat of divorce was a very dangerous one and one that actually Austin as a solicitor, as a lawyer, would mm. have the power to follow through on. Yeah. Again, it's all, this entire episode is just met, like the power structures of, that men have built to control people. Mm. Yes. And, and a particular substruct, and a particular subgroup of men as well, i.e. Yes. white, upper I, class, wealthy like men. Cishet, white men. <laughs> Yeah. and then we look, and yep. we see that in the storyline with the soldiers and their uniform inspection as well, right? Yes, that they have built this like arbitrary um, framework. You know, frame, yes, exactly. In order for them to potentially qualify to get the weapons, but like they have also made it impossible for them to do it mm. unless they take up the housewife kits and sort of, again, this is where I was like, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but like rebuke the idea that men don't sew and instead have to lean into like clothing and Mm. women's work in order to navigate this framework. I think it's a reflection of the fact that um, often for people of minority backgrounds or poorer backgrounds, mm-hmm. less advantaged backgrounds to succeed. Mm-hmm. They have to later in life, go back and learn mm-hmm. the skills or learn the tool or get the tools that wealthier people either have themselves due to their education yeah. or have the money to pay someone else to can export. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even like I remember listening to someone talk about the concept of why, because Japan, um, before they privatized the post office, I mean, they still have it, but um, the post office here has a banking option for people. Mm. And it's a constant debate in America about like, why don't we have a, you know, attach a bank to the post office? Because with private banks, you have to have a minimum amount of money in order to actually open an account, which doesn't sound like much until you figure like automatic deposits for things like bills if you don't have a bank account and you're poor, like that's time that you have to then spend to go and pay the bill every single yeah. month. It is time spent standing in line. It is time spent doing this. And suddenly it all accrues to the point where 
if you don't have a certain amount of money and if you don't have that privilege, like the system is built to make life harder for you. Oh, so 100%. To get that I mean, foothold like, is almost impossible. We ha- we actually have post office banks here in the UK as well. Yeah, why the um, fuck doesn't but, America have them anyway? But um, they recently changed the law in this country because, uh, and again, this is when I no. was working with the homeless. Um, no, it's a good thing because oh, okay, okay. While, while I was working with the homeless, they changed the law so that every high street bank... Um, mm by which we mean every kind of not so you could be a if you're a bank that is investing Mm -hmm. um and trading and stuff this wouldn't apply to you but high street banks are like like normal everyday you open a bank account to live sort of thing yes um any high street bank is legally obliged to if someone requests to open account they do not have to have a postal address Mm -hmm. to open one yeah. Okay. Um, and they did that bec- literally bec- so that homeless people could go into yes. a bank and say, "I want to open an account," and they wouldn't be faced with the fact that they had no they had no physical address. Yes. Yeah. Good. Okay. I was worried it was um, going the other way because Japan privatized the post office, and now I'm just like, no. But yeah, that's another example of like a thing where if you you know, if you have wealthy parents or if you're well-educated, mm-hmm. if you are of a particular demographic, the likelihood is, is that growing up, your parents opened a bank account for you. Yep. Um, whereas, you know, some people don't have that. No. Their parents don't teach them how to do that or they don't, Mm-mm. you know. So, Their yeah. parents might not know how to do it as well because it is complicated depending on where you are. Mm. Yeah. The soldiers in the episode, uh, they kind of have to, they're kind of forced to play the game, mm-hmm. the white man's game in a way, aren't they? I mean, that's. Exactly. Like, if they want the weapons, they have to go through these hoops of showing uniform, like passing uniform inspection, even though they have just been given a hodgepodge of pieces. And it is infuriating. Uh, especially mm-hmm. because Higginson in the episode again does his whole like I'm going to try and speak like a brother, you know, uh, and it's just like oh please just shut uh, up, because, sir, stop. Yeah, but yeah, and then Higginson, even though they he 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 says they pass the uniform inspection, mm. and even then they they can't have the weapons. Yeah. I also did note, I feel like it's been quite a while since we had like a goofy Dickinson montage. What do you mean? Where they're sewing the clothes and there's like a song playing and they're like the fashion song is playing and they're like doing a catwalk and they're dancing. I feel like it had been a while since we'd seen something like that. Uh, Yeah. And then we have one here in this. Yeah. 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 It's just like, oh, I missed this. Weirdly, because I used to I used to criticize it all the time, and now I'm like, oh, good, they're doing it. Uh, yeah, I liked the montage where mm. they were like darning their clothes and yeah, like cobbling yeah. shoes. And also, the just yeah. do it joke made me laugh real hard. <laughs> Erasmus's vision of the future being yeah. just do it, where he sees the sneakers and stuff. Yeah. Um, well, at the end, Henry says that he's going to call Higginson on his bullshit, doesn't he? Yes. Um, and I think that will be very satisfying when we get to see that. So, 
one thing, um, because I did look up the South Carolina Regiment, Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, stated that any Black soldiers that were found were not to be treated as prisoners of war, but were to, in fact, be re-enslaved, regardless of their free person status. So the stakes for the regiment are incredibly high. Yeah. Without me even realizing it. Well, I, well, this is so one of the, I can't remember which character it is, but one of the soldiers says, you know, oh, we're going up against racists mm. with economic anxiety. Yes. Um, and I loved that because it's just so accurate. And like, even now, a lot of mm-hmm. racism really is fueled by economic anxiety. Because it's, their anger is pointed in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, but also it's about like, so for the civil war it's oh without our slaves our plantations aren't going to run etc but i think even in modern america and and largely Mm, the west mm. and stuff a lot of it is like oh well they get richer we'll get poorer so yes it is the zero-sum game yeah well and also like um, go ahead and and just i think that a lot of people would not admit that they would rather see a black person be poor than another white person Mm-hmm. if you see what i mean like push comes oh, to yes. shove people are tribal and they would rather see people someone who looks like them with the yes. resources than someone who doesn't and i will also say i'm guessing you didn't get a lot of exposure to uh american media but post 2016 election the phrase that was constantly used to explain voters who had voted for obama and then switched to trump was economic anxiety so right. that has like that is done deliberately to draw that parallel. Right, yeah. Whether or not they are aware of their racism, it is racist. Yeah, I mean I don't think they would call it racist. I think they would say, "Oh no, I just care about the economy." Yes. Um but that anxiety is fundamentally fueled by the um us versus them. Yeah, the zero sum approach to. Yes. Patriarchy um, and capitalism continue to be bad. Yes, shock, horror. We're all surprised. Put it in the onion. Um, <laughs> I feel, yeah, we're we're just an ouroboros of despair these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Ugh. That's going to be the name of my band, Ouroboros of Despair. <laughs> <laughs> Our hit song, Capitalism, sucks. <laughs> So I think that kind of covers the episode, really. Um, yes. Do we want to do the little poem here at the end? Oh, sure. Yeah, I've got it. A little madness in the spring is wholesome, even for the king. But God be with the clown who ponders this tremendous scene, this whole experiment of green, as if it were his own. I like it. Yeah. Another one of her little ditties that... uh. Reminds us that nature is incredible and also definitely not ours. You know, the king and the clown are compared, aren't they? And mm. I think the point is like the king thinks of himself as like the king, right? Um, but yes. the clown in his kind of madness um, believes that this whole experiment of green, I guess, would, that would be nature. Nature, um, yeah. Is his. Um, yeah. Like, Maybe it's kind of anti-capitalist because it's saying like, 
this belongs like nature belongs to all of us and yeah well like, and also just it it feels connected to the um i taste a liquor never brewed yeah where it yeah, is yeah, just yeah. sort of like a little delirium when spring appears is good like i'm drunk on spring appearing on like flowers blooming i think a springtime bacchanal is in order Ooh, i am re- it snowed here recently like shockingly a large amount of snow and i was just like oh, you know, really? i'm yeah i was like i'm really looking forward to uh springtime now emily has gotten me hyped for spring because i'm gonna <laughs> run around in all the flowers and people are gonna be like who's that <laughs> who's that guy Jen? <laughs> yeah <being> like, <laughs> nature trees <laughs> look you're like that meme of like the character from Sailor Moon with the butterfly and you're like, is yeah. this a cherry blossom? I know. <laughs> Me being like, is this a spring? Is this the madness of the spring? <laughs> <laughs> so loaves of bread. Loaves of bread. Honestly. So I, Ben has been very good and like followed the rules of this podcast. I have already blasted through the, the end of the show. This is probably my least appreciated episode of the season oops it's good i just don't love it six and a half seven meh i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna stick to my usual harshness um i'm gonna but i am gonna give this a six yeah six loaves of bread i think i think that it's there it's a good it's a solid yeah i was like i this is not to say it's bad um no yeah I, just, um, I think it was. It had a simple structure that worked. Mm, um, mm-hmm. I, I just thought like they could have. I, I feel like the asylum is such a rich yeah. setting, mm-hmm. and they just could have done more with it. Is what I th- is what I think. Yeah. I feel like the dramatic tension of will Mister Dickinson commit Emily or not was completely undercooked. Yeah, and so there were it no. Could, yeah stakes to the episode in that sense like within the dickinson family uh, yeah i feel like there should have been like a bit more of a back and forth on that and mm. um, and there should have been like a real sense of risk like i feel like maybe even if emily and the doctor had had a scene where it was just the two of yeah. them alone yeah. and the doctor was able to like try to almost convince emily of her illness and emily had to try and maintain a sense of of her own self in the face of that it would have been really cool to have like emily herself being interrogated by him yes like uh, because we spend all our time psychoanalyzing emily but i think it it would have been interesting if she'd had to confront someone who who was trying to actively convince her that she was crazy as she's also questioning this like whole thing with Sue having lost her to poetry, Matt. Yeah. Make this an hour long show. <laughs> like it could easily be done. I, I think. Um, yeah. I say it could easily be done. That's like double the work, but. I was going um, to say, I'm sure Elena Smith is real glad that we're like, no work harder. <laughs> Do Sorry, more. Elena. I love your work. Seriously. <laughs> Please don't stop. <laughs> do more Um, (laughs) like let's get a little bit alice madness returns here and and, you know 
Um, Especially if we are going to head down into the Inferno, I'd like a little bit more triggering conflict as we get headed that direction. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Great. Okay. Well, everyone, thank you very much for coming and listening to us yammer on about this show. Um, This show. Yeah, this show, which constantly provides us with interesting things to explore and things and just get our teeth into um mm. if you would like to write to us you can uh, at edicts on edicts all lowercase um at gmail.com uh, there are people who have written to us i haven't written back i'm sorry i'm working on it um kyle oh, will get to you i do you know what kyle i will pledge here and now on the podcast <gasps> to spend some time looking at the inbox this week and see if oh I my goodness um I there was a long enough. one in there that uh, uh, I I cede to you. <laughs> well, so like, if people don't know, I am now a professional letter writer. Um, That's true. <laughs> that is what I do for my job. So um, I shall see if I can write a reply or two. Yeah. I meanwhile um, am slowly purging myself of social media and rec- like hiding away to work on a personal project. So I will be a little less active. All you need is a white dress. I- <laughs>